everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Conversation of Our Generation. My name's Nick Jamel, and this is episode 43, and I am the host of the podcast here, the creator of the Conversation of Our Generation blog, and basically main author as well, uh, but I do have some guest blogs on there, and if you would like to do that, you can always shoot me an email, uh, or find me on Twitter at Conversation of Our, oh, sorry, at Con of Our Gen, or on Facebook.com slash Conversation of Our Generation, or go to conversationofourgeneration.com slash contact, which is where you can send me a, you know, a little thing about what you want to talk about, why you're passionate about it, if you'd like, and just what your point of view is on it, just so that I can get a basic idea, we can get you an article written, you can do that and send it in and we can get you rolling. But today we have a great show all about the wisdom of our ancestors and why we shouldn't just discount, you know, what they taught us in from the ancients all the way to people who were alive, you know, 50 years ago, or who died 50 years ago, you know, to your, your grandparents and your family and the people around you and how we can tap into our human network to learn and to grow and to become more knowledgeable and much more wise people through others. And this is a huge part of why I started the conversation, our generation, but I was struck while reading something recently, and I'll get into that in a moment, that made me think of it in a little bit of a different way uh, from a more modern perspective. I, I've been really focused a lot on the ancients and bringing things that are ancient ideas back and focusing on them again and applying the wisdom from them to our generation. But I think we can go back to 1930 and take wisdom that was there and was not really common that was being discovered that are kind of newer ideas in the term of you know human history and bringing those and saying you know how do we use these now <clears throat> and so I'm excited about this episode I think it'll be a really good one but before I dive into it I'd just like to let you hear a little bit from we do better we do better is an organization that is trying to help charities connect the resources that they need in order to meet the human needs that they're trying to meet with their organization and with the mission that drives them and fuels them to be such a great solution in helping people in your neighborhood, in your community. And what I love about We Do Better is that it allows me to be active and ensure that I am going to be helping the people in my community, the people that I see, the homeless people on my streets right in front of me, and those people that I know need help because it keeps everything local. It keeps my contributions to charities in the area that I live and not going to some far off place or getting sucked away by, you know, government waste. Instead, I know that I'm giving to a charity that is going to be servicing people in my community and is doing so better than other solutions out there. So if you want to get involved, go to wedobetter.org and look around and see what great information there is there. There's plenty to look at. And then go to the contact part and tell them that you want to get involved. Or you can go to the Facebook page for We Do Better Indianapolis if you're in my area and let me know. Or search Facebook for your locality, just We Do Better my city, my state, and see what's out there for you to get involved with. 
We'd love to have as much help as possible because we believe in this mission. We believe in what's going on with We Do Better because it's about we, the people, meeting the human needs in our communities and rallying around our community to make them better and to help people who really need it the best way possible and the most efficient way possible. And that's what it's about. So if you want to get involved, again, it's wedobetter.org. Go there and contact them and let them know that you want to get involved. So I uh, am still not 100% from a voice perspective and from getting over this cold that I was talking about last week. So hopefully uh, I can get through this without coughing and sneezing every five minutes. But I do think that I feel a little bit better and hopefully my voice is a little bit better. I feel like last week it was a little rough. It was like there was a frog in my throat sort of thing. But let's go ahead and hop into uh, the quote of the week. And this is one that obviously just kind of fits with the show. It's from Isaac Newton. It's, uh, if I have seen further than others, it is by standing upon the shoulders of giants. And I think we always hear this and you, you know, it talks about how as a scientist, he had to build upon the science that came before him and he had to learn from you know, the scientists and what they had to offer before him and then kind of use that as a springboard then to do all the amazing things that he did. And he was obviously very successful at that, right? He basically discovered calculus and was the first to use it really in the way that he did. You know, he made huge leaps in physics. He did amazing things. Uh, He's probably one of the most prominent scientists of his time, if not the most prominent scientist of his time, and really of the last several hundred years. And so when we look at all of the wisdom that we have in our lives and all of the leaps and bounds that we're able to make in our lives, it's because of the work that's been done in the past, you know, our grandparents and great-grandparents and, you know, people a thousand years ago weren't, you know, primitive or rubes because they didn't have an iPhone and self-driving cars. No, they were making the advances needed for us to have that today. And they were building on what was given to them. And if you really look back, at some point, we had nothing at all. I mean, we had no agriculture. We were following around animals to hunt them, just like really any other animal. And out of that, we were able to stop, build societies, and start really creating the technologies and creating things that allow us to, you know, survive at better rates because you had less starvation. You had fewer shortages because you're able to manage that. You know, and so over time, it became to the point where we no longer really had the issue of surviving, and so our technology was able to flourish into all sorts of different things. And now today, it's like every new technology is like another stupid thing that you can app that you can put on your phone that doesn't really help you do anything other than you know find the best place to eat or the next you know log whichever craft beers you've tried I mean come on it's crazy what all we have at our fingertips now but it's not because of 
some secret sauce that, you know, sprung up all of a sudden in the year 2000. It's because we've been building on the shoulders of giants for the entire time people have been alive. You know, the entire time that we've been making this progress from nomadic tribes to today, we have been building on what our ancestors did. And I think that we also just think they're less intelligent a lot of times. A thousand years ago, we call it the Dark Ages or the Medieval Times. But, you know, you also have people who were incredibly smart. There was a lot of technology actually moving forward. And to call it that is a little ignorant of what was going on, actually. You know, you still had beautiful art being made. I mean, you had really amazing i mean dante was you know in medieval times aquinas was you know during the dark ages supposedly so to call them those things are a little bit of a misstep i think and the reason why i'm talking about this today is in uh, i was reading dale carnegie's how to win friends and influence people and i thought it was funny that I think so much of what he taught is common networking or sales or management training and knowledge now, but I was like, I wonder if he was kind of bringing together all these people who were finding the best practices in business as you moved from in the, before, you know, 1800, people were working for a shop in their local town. They generally knew the person and, you know, you whatever work you were doing was your livelihood and you couldn't really find another job because there just weren't other jobs around, right? It didn't really work that way. It was just a little town and however many shops there were, it's pretty much how much business was and it didn't grow super fast. And you had the industrial revolution where now all of a sudden you have people managing hundreds of employees and they didn't really, I think that people were probably overwhelmed and they didn't know how to do it in that way, you know, and you're managing people who are total strangers and you're managing people who you may not even know all their names because turnover rates and everything. And he was kind of codifying all these best practices from people he knew or people he read about, people he studied on how to really tap into people and get the best of them and how to make not just for a selfish reason, but to make friends and influence people. You know, it's, it's not just, I want to manipulate people. It's to influence people to maybe even find the best for themselves because, you know, scolding your child doesn't really work as well as motivating them to attain something. And that's kind of how he pitches it. But I think it's really interesting because that's when I was in retail management, this is what we would talk about when I was in my business classes this is how we were taught to manage people and to uh, to kind of dangle a carrot instead of kick them in the ass, right? And and you find that it works better with people when you do that. Instead of scolding and yelling or whatever it is, it's much better to say, okay, well, look, you did this and you got a bad result. Maybe we should try something better and you could get a better result and that'd be better for you, right? And people are much more receptive to that. And... The other thing that struck me is I wonder how much of his book is proven correct or disproven by psychology since then. You know, it's been 80 years and he, when he was quoting his psychology, he was quoting Freud, who's 
largely been disproven on certain base concepts of what he talks about, but he, he did have a lot of ancillary things that are still, you know, true today or considered true today. Like he wasn't just a total buffoon. He had a lot of stuff right too. However, this idea of motivating people and all of that, you know, I think it's funny that he really quotes business people on that who are probably more correct than Freud's motivations. I mean, obviously he's a little bit correct in, you know, what motivates people, but, um, sex isn't the penultimate motivator. And so I'm sure that there's a lot of stuff around these, uh, assertions that Carnegie makes in this book that are probably proven to be right in a lot of ways. And the other thing is how much of what he's teaching is being changed by the culture that's changed in the last 80 years. I think this book was written in 1930 originally, if I'm correct. You know, it, obviously the people change, the historical figures that he references you know, one of them is Lincoln. We all know who Lincoln is, but then there's also people who are referenced in there that I didn't know that were, you know, I can't think of one off the top of my head because I didn't, but they were businessmen uh, that would have been prominent businessmen at his time. But, you know, you don't, history doesn't always remember some businessmen. And, and then there's some like Charles Schwab, whose name is everywhere, but if his name wasn't on the company, you wouldn't know who he is, possibly. And, Today, we have a totally different culture around how we interact with people and the casualness of it. And so maybe is this still applicable? And it was kind of my question I'm asking myself. And I think it's even more applicable because now people have full choice on whether or not they're going to put up with your crap. So if you're not motivating, if you're not pushing people forward and giving them like a sense of purpose, really, not even just like a a motivator to do better and, you know, make more money. Now it seems like millennials, especially in gen in the generation below us are looking for work. That's purposeful. That gives us a direction in life more than just compensation. And a lot of times I think we fail to see that sometimes when you do that, you're going to sacrifice compensation somewhat for that and people get upset about why they can't work their dream job for you know more than thirty thousand dollars a year because they're helping people and it's like well you're helping people at a non-profit which is great it's noble but you're not going to get paid as well as if you go into business and you don't have as maybe you don't have as much purpose on what you're doing but you're going to get paid better and i think that a good thing that you now have a diversity of motivators so that whatever it is that is more uh, inclined in someone to move towards something, they can find that in whatever they're doing. And that's good. I think that it gives people more of a sense of empowerment to do their work and to find work that they can buy into and that they can enjoy. And that's a good way to find a good purpose in this world. And I think that's great for people. I think you still need, you know, a spiritual purpose, one that lasts beyond this life to really be carried through this life. Fine. But regardless, I think it's a great start for people who 
don't have the most hope or who have trouble with, you know, what we see in our society with struggles with depression and all that to not just be motivated by money, to be motivated by whatever it is around you that you're passionate about, whatever cause it is that you're passionate about, anything is good. And so what's funny is while I've been talking a lot about Aristotle and why his ideas aren't out of date, you know, and a lot of the family values that arise out of Christianity and Judaism and how they're not out of date uh, today, they're still apply today. It just struck me as odd that I had to look back to 1930 even and say, do these things still apply today? And, and I think they do. I, I'm not finished reading uh, the book, but everything I've seen in there so far, um, you know, I'm about a fourth of the way through it. I just started it not too long ago. And uh, it just seemed interesting to me that you can look back to that point and ask about it. But what I want to talk about primarily today is where do we get the knowledge that carries us through life? How much of it is something that is almost innate that we discover that we know when we need to know it, like your fight or flight response? How much of it is stuff that we absorb from the people around us? And and who are the people around us that we should tap into the most for finding things out and like learning and discovering new things? And so we all know that we're born with a lot of innate knowledge that's just built in built in. I mean, it's a lot of it's kind of an animalistic response, you know, your intuition, your reflexes, those kinds of things. But there are also uh, other things that we have that are survivors, survival skills that are a little bit more complex, like the ability to look at food. And when you're even a little kid and kind of know whether or not it's good, you know, you can smell things and you can as soon as you taste it, you're like, oh, nope, that's not right. And we almost have those defenses built into us. Like we don't have to really learn what something that's spoiled smells like or looks like. You smell it and it smells bad. And because it smells bad, you're like, I'm not going to eat that. And sometimes maybe it's Brussels sprouts that are healthy for you that just smell bad. But most of the time, it's something that you shouldn't eat. And there's so many things like that that are built into our DNA that we, we don't have to learn so many basic skills because it's just almost hardwired into us. And I think that that's amazing. I think that we also probably, I mean, well, not probably, we also learn a lot from mimicking people around us as we're young. And that's something that's built in to look around, find examples and do what they do. And so it's something that's innate is we should immediately or we immediately do come out of the womb and are like looking around for cues on what we should be doing. And I think that's pretty crazy to think that we're designed to learn immediately. We're designed to look around and try to do the things that other people are doing. You know, that's why babies will smile back and they 
you know, start to really learn social skills. They respond to uh, voices. You know, if you're talking to them, they'll they start to look your way. They start to do all the things that people do quickly. And it's not like you're teaching your three day old infant to do these things at all. No, <laughs> I mean, they still are, don't know the language, so they can't understand what you're trying to explain to them. So they're learning these things automatically. And to me, that's amazing. I think that it's so cool that there's so much built into us that we can learn from. And I think that obviously that's not the highest form of learning because that's not what's going to give us, you know, the technology that we have today. It's not going to give us Dante's Inferno or Aristotle's ethics, but it will give us a lot of the things that we need to survive and to get by so that we can do those other things. We, we don't have to, we don't have to learn how to live. We just have to learn how to, you know, be a part of our society. And to do that requires tapping into the networks around us. And I think the first network that we tap into is obviously our family and our family's wisdom is something that I don't think we notice at first that we're picking up on, but we are. And that's in the sense that I'm sure that you weren't, you didn't know why your parents put you in the school that they put you in or made sure that they were in the neighborhood that they were in, but that's them using their wisdom to make sure that you're in a good environment to learn and to grow into an adult. And you probably aren't picking up on that when you're five years old and playing with all the friends in the neighborhood. But a lot of times that's kind of by design and it's a little bit of luck that, you know, you're in a good neighborhood maybe, but it's also a concerted effort too, that your parents put you in a good neighborhood. And so that's one thing. The other thing is looking into your grandparents and your, uh, aunts and uncles and everything for just advice on life and how to navigate the trials of life or how to utilize your skill set and as best you can to get the best results in life. And these people that you have as family are the ones who generally know you really well. They've seen you grow up. They know what your talents are. And they are the people who understand the world around you and how to tap into it. And I know that my uncle has been helpful with me in getting some of my uh, career going because he was always talking to me about networking. He was always talking to me about, you know, how I can use my marketing skill set and just not, not like just lecturing me on it, but pointing out things or little tips and tricks that he used and all of that. And my dad did the same. And so when I look at where I am now, I think that a lot of the way I was able to navigate to here is not because of some innate characteristic. It's because I listened to the people around me who had gotten further than me. And this is also a pet peeve of mine when people talk about my white privilege or whatever it is. And I think I've talked about this on here, but you know, my privilege doesn't come from a color of my skin. It comes from the people around me 
who have busted their butts to learn the way to not be poor and to get to a place where they can set their kids up for even greater success than they had. And, you know, each one of my, I mean, each one of my grandparents was born dirt poor. And the fact that both my parents, you know, were able to be, you know, having a kid kind of in a comfortable middle class. I mean, they were both working at a school, so they weren't like swimming in the dough, you know, when they were, uh, when they had me. So it's not like they were crazy well off, but, you know, and it was also a private school, so they definitely weren't making as much money as they could at a public school. So let's just put it that way. But then they made the decision to have my mom stay at home. My dad got a different job in sales and was able to compensate for that. And, you know, they it worked out. I mean, we, I was comfortable as a kid. We weren't like, you know, rolling around in Mercedes, but we had everything that we needed and most of what we wanted. And it was great. So my point is, is we were building on the backs of giants because my parents learned so much from the people around uh, us, you know, their, their parents and their uh, successful aunts and uncles. And then they took that, used it to build success in their lives and to be able to raise a kid in a comfortable home, unlike, you know, maybe, I mean, financially comfortable. Obviously, my grandparents are great parents, but a financially comfortable home from the get-go, which their parents didn't have. You know, they, for the first few years, they weren't as well off. And eventually, they, you know, got better off, and it was not a problem, but, you know, it's, it's a building process the whole time. And I think that I've seen so many people in my family who have achieved so much from so little that it irks me to hear something about my innate privilege. It's it's not something that I've done or even something that society's done to give me privilege. It's the hard work and determination and the learning and the wisdom that my family has gathered, you know, by as individuals and that they've brought together to this table and taught each other. That's why we're successful and that's why we've gotten more successful over the years. And so I think that it's important to listen to those things, to listen to the stories of how, you know, your grandparents did, you know, found success, how, you know, your uncle who did really well, your aunt who did really well, or even your older cousin who did really well, like listening to what they did to be successful is awesome. And it, it teaches you so much. And, but there's also more on, more than that, because the other thing that they teach you is how to be a parent. You know, my, my mom moved to Indianapolis. She's from Southern Indiana and she moved away from her family to come live up here in Indy with my dad and his family. Um, obviously they live separately, but you know, this is where my dad's family was. And so she looked a lot to my dad's family for guidance when she had me because she hadn't been a mom before, you know? And so they were able to teach her all the little things or 
answer the questions. If I'm if we're at a party and someone gave me candy and she's like, is that going to be okay at this point in time? I don't know. And all the things that they taught her, some of them were not going to be in a parenting book. It's not going to be in a parenting book to learn to chillax on <clears throat> whether or not it's the right month to start feeding me this or that or whatever. You know, if I can handle it, then it's fine, you know, and what doesn't kill me makes me stronger and all those things. Um, and so she was able to tap into that network of women who'd been mothers of, you know, couple kids, six kids, you know, and have that uh, network of people who can support her, who can, who she can go to with anything that's a problem with being a parent. And I think that's a huge thing to have. And that's a huge asset to have because it's the same for a young father having to learn how to do it. You know, parenting is something that is, you don't really know until you do it, I assume, because I, I just, I can't imagine. It's not like being taught calculus or something like where you can look at the problem on the board and work it out. It's, you know, something that you have to just practice and do and learn as you go. And it's going to be your family that allows you to learn that. And it's going to be your family that teaches you that better than other people. But in turn, as you learn all these things, it's important to be able to give that to the next generation. I'm the, on my dad's side, I'm the oldest and of all my cousins and, you know, even including my brothers. And so there's a responsibility to know to, or to not only do what I can to be successful, but also to pass on my, what I can teach them because I'm also the only, only person who's going, who just rent, went through college in the last couple of years. You know, it's been a little while for the rest of my family. So it's different, you know, I'm the, I don't know. I'm I'm the only one who's dealt with some of the technology in school that we have or the new ways of doing things in schools because there weren't iPads in classes, you know. I mean they might have I guess had laptops in their college courses, but they didn't have any of that stuff. And so navigating school with those kinds of things is different. And those are things that I can help with, I guess. And by the time that the youngest ones are going through stuff, I'll be my understanding of how to get through school is going to be so outdated, it'll be crazy. I mean, I believe that schooling will collapse in the next 20 years almost, so or the way we do it at least. So it'll be totally different at that point. And I won't be the best resource, but I can be the best resource now on that. And I'll have other things that I can help with. But to continue to gather that knowledge and share it and that wisdom and share it is important as well as much as getting it from other people, it's important to share it. So that's the other part of being in the family is it is very reciprocal and it's understood that way that you should be reciprocal in that. The next place I think where we gain a lot of wisdom as well is obviously our friends and our colleagues. Now, I think that your family is often a lot better for the wisdom that carries you through life, you know, those things that are going to give you the ability to 
build the family and to, you know, continue on in a career at the same time and how to balance things and how to continue to instill values in your children and all those things. I think that's what family is really, really good for. I think that your friends and colleagues are a lot better at something along the lines of your tactical things like how how do I do this job search that I'm going through right now or what are some good ways to figure out a way to live you know with the rental situation or whether you should buy be buying a house and you know those sorts of things because it's a situation that's different now than it was when maybe your parents or grandparents were starting off where you really could afford a house a lot of times to when coming you know in your early 20s now it's not as common and so how do I adjust for renting and things like that and there's a new landscape now than there is when your parents were our age or obviously I mean it's probably been around 20 years or more for any of your parents till today, you know, whatever it is. Um, you know, there's a 20 year difference, I guess what I'm trying to say between you and your parents, at least generally. And so the problems that are facing us today in how we prepare ourselves to get a job and how we prepare ourselves to do the interviews and to go through these processes is different. The job market's different. The industries are different what people are looking for in employees and what employees are looking for in employers is different. And so to just take advice only from your parents on that or your grandparents or your aunts and uncles, you know, it's good to have their advice, but I think it's best to look at people around your age who are in a good job, who have found success. You know, maybe people who are a couple years older than you that are friends that have found success when it comes to learning how to be successful at you know at your place of work talking to your colleagues and finding out how you navigate the workplace especially if it's a big company like what's the bureaucracy here look like those are things that your parents don't know because they haven't worked for that company right and so looking at how can i tap into a network around me of people that give me insight you know it's much more tactical what you find out i think from your friends and colleagues but it's just as important in a lot of ways because this is your kind of your your roadmap towards finding the financial success and the comfort there to be able to focus on the other parts of your life that are important as well of building a family and finding purpose being able to be a part of a church if you want or Whatever it is, you know, being able to have time for yourself to work on the things that are, that impassion you if you can't necessarily do that in your job, but you love music, but you know you're not going to make a living as a musician because you're just not at that level. Well, then being successful is going to allow you to have the instruments that you play, the one that you want, right, and be able to play it and have leisure time to do so. If you're good at what you do and you focus on your career, then you could do that. And that's that can be just as important for some people. But you need to have that tactful knowledge, that understanding of the landscape that comes from the people around you that are generally closer to your age that have done this, that have gone through what you've gone through or or, or are going through. 
And I think that it's it comes from a, a much better sense of I've been there. Here's how I did it. Here's where I went wrong. Here's what I think went right. And if you can find someone who can give you those points, I think that you're much better off than if someone's just like, here's what my teacher, my professor taught me, right, in college. Here's what the career office told me when I was giving them my resume. Um, It's better to find someone who's done it, who has a roadmap, who can explain how they navigated that roadmap and can share that with you. I think that's way more important. I think that's way better at giving you the ability to have that roadmap to a successful life. And then the final thing is the collective wisdom, which is not the wisdom of the collective, this hodgepodge of, you know, whatever, where it's like, we just do everything for the collective. And that's, you know, that's not what I'm talking about. But collective wisdom is if there's 10 people in a room, the odds that someone knows how to solve a complex problem is not as good as if there's a hundred or a thousand or a hundred thousand. Or if you look at the entire world's population, you know, seven billion or whatever it is now. Taking the unique experiences, the fact that people all across the world have different life stories and have run into problems at different times and in different ways and have, you know, had to solve those problems or tap into a network to solve those problems and different, you know, have different collections of knowledge and wisdom, the ability to say we can tap into that because of the internet all around the world is incredible. And I think this is a big one for us today is to know how to do this correctly and how to do this reliably where we're not getting a crazy person or someone who's lying or a snake oil salesman that we're able to find a way to verify Uh, the information and know that, you know, I have this problem and someone's had this problem halfway across the world in Europe, but they're showing me how to fix it. And sometimes it's as simple as, you know, I'm 23 and, you know, I don't know how to cook for myself really other than ramen or something like that. And this person's like, yeah, neither did I, but here's, here's how I learned how to do it. And here's how I, you know, here's the steps that I took to figure out how to cook and go to this place, this place, this place, and they have good recipes that are accessible and you can start learning that, right? That's a great thing to have. It could be as simple as that. It could be as complex as, you know, uh, an advanced, you know, calc problem in college that you don't know how to solve, but someone else is showing you on YouTube how to solve it because your professor doesn't know how to teach or something. You know, there's that too. It's, there's so many ways that we can use this wisdom that's being shared across billions of people to solve problems almost instantaneously. Because now I gave you examples of kind of simple things, but we really could start pulling together all the knowledge. You can start pulling together psychological research that's happening in universities across the world, you know, and bring together instead of having your department at Harvard, which is, I don't know, let's say a hundred people, 
I don't know if it is or not. Instead of having that, you have all the departments across the United States, across Europe, across Asia and Africa, Australia, right? And South America, you have all these universities, top universities. Each country still has a really solid university and is doing good things. <laughs> that you can pull these all these studies together and say, oh, look, these compare and contrast them. And this looks like most of these studies find this is the case, but a lot of these have a different answer. Well, let's pull them together and see why. Let's compare and figure out what's different. You know, did they use different variables, etc.? And people are doing independent work that are very astute people all across the world. And then you can compare that. And I think that's why technology is advancing so, so rapidly too, is it's not just the technology that we think of, like your iPhone getting faster, yada, yada. It's everything is accelerated because it's so much faster to get to the heart of a problem, whatever problem it is. And so the fact that we can solve problems faster just also almost creates problems and that you have to move quickly. So there is a balancing act there, but I'd rather be solving, you know, the problems of starvation in our world at the fastest rate possible than slow that down so that, you know, we don't have to lay off people in certain industries here in America. I think that, you know, the fact that there's still people starving around the world is an issue enough that we shouldn't restrain our economy for that <laughs> to to save a few jobs here and there. But you do have to take that into account uh, as you're making decisions and see how this is going to affect people and make provisions for other people. And, and I'm not saying that that's the government. I'm not saying it's even the business who's changing things. But it is our responsibility as a society to find ways to adapt to this and to share these ways because guess what? And as much as we can figure out how to double the speed of iPhones every six months, we can figure out how to innovate and to train people to be ready for this next step and what our economy looks like too. And and we have the ability as uh, 7 billion people coming together through the internet, you know, not everyone's obviously on the internet yet, but... We're pretty close. I mean, pretty much everyone around the people who aren't on the internet could find them and document what they're doing and put it on the internet still. <laughs> so that to me says that this is an amazing time to be alive for this because just think what impact this could have. And I'm not one to talk about like the singularity or whatever it is that, you know, we're coming to this point where technology just automatically advances or whatever. I don't know. I don't even fully understand it. But I do think that we're at a point where we can solve so many problems very, very quickly and radically change what the world looks like. I do think we're there. And I think that it's going to take a balancing of this collective wisdom that's going to advance, I think, technology and science and all these things super rapidly. We need to balance that with the traditional things, the, what the, you know, keeping the family structure because that's important. Keeping, you know, the ancients alive because they're important because these are the ideas that have carried us through 
each of the industrial revolutions. It's the reason why, you know, I mean, it's Aristotle, holding on to Aristotle and Christianity is what kept communism at bay. You know, it's, it's holding on to those two things that kept us, you know, from all devolving into tyranny. And we have to keep our, keep that in mind that even though we have so much advancement happening, there's still a lot that is eternal as well. And we have to hold on to that because your technological advancement that allows you to be happy for the next six months with this new thing is far, far less important than you, you know, the real happiness that comes from an understanding of where we come from and where we're going. And I think that that's important to keep at top of mind as we go through this transition as a society. So if you guys enjoyed this, if you like the conversation of our generation, please follow me at twi on Twitter at con of our gen, facebook.com slash conversation of our generation. You can go and like the page there, follow the blog conversation our generation.com. You can get all this content there. Or if you're on the blog, listening to this, go to iTunes and subscribe, leave a review, give me a five-star rating that helps. But you can find me any of those places. If you want to get a guest blog on here, for sure, let me know and we can get you featured on the blog. Uh, just go to any of those uh, social accounts or go to conversationourgeneration.com slash contact and you can put in a note and it emails me and lets me know or you can email me at nicholasjamel at gmail.com. That's my real email. Feel free to shoot me an email and let me know if you have a blog idea there too. Anyways, thank you guys for coming and listening today. Thank you for being here and for taking part in the conversation of our generation. I really hope that you're sharing this, that you're bringing this to other people and on social or in person, telling them, you know, taking their phone from them and subscribing so that they have to listen and, and all these things. But I want to get more people involved and get people building this conversation of our generation so that we can build the collective wisdom on this platform of how we apply old ideas to this new age and how we can do that in a way that maintains our society and passes it off better than we received it. That's my hope. And I hope that you guys are able to help me in that and able to share this so that more and more people can help us in this mission. And with that, thank you guys again for listening to the conversation of our generation. Let's get the dialogue going. Talk to you next week.